You're listening to the H Society Podcast, presented by Hurex Digital, a weekly podcast featuring prominent thought leaders in the world of professional societies, associations, and nonprofit organizations. Discover actionable ways these people are making their organizations valuable for their members through digital technology, publishing, and continuous education. No fluff. Tune in to hear best practices and tactical solutions from the best thought leaders and practitioners in the association and nonprofit world today. Welcome to another episode of the Head Society Podcast. In this episode, our host, Scott Hansen, will interview Dr. Michael Wolf, Executive Vice President of Evermed TV. Why do you listen to this episode? You will find Dr. Wolf talking about various points and we want you to focus on two most important things that I discuss. One, how a strategic partnership between a pharma industry and society and associations changed things dramatically for them. Two, how they use the power of video streaming as a custom society content for educational purposes turned out to be innovative and efficient. Which means we are talking about a non-traditional path where no physical books and journals were absolutely used. How they do it? Listen to this episode now. Over to Scott. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our latest episode of the H Society by Herex Digital. Uh, we hope this will be a thought-provoking and uh, entertaining series. This is another one in the series of our podcasts, and uh, I'm very uh, happy today. Uh, we have uh, today's guest is Dr. Michael Wolf. He's the Executive Vice President of Partnerships for Evermed TV, and Michael lives in New York City. Um, Michael and I met roughly 15, maybe even closer to 20 years ago now. Uh, we were both waiting in the, uh, shall we say, the green room, uh, uh, presenting at a uh, large sales conference. And uh, so killing time in the green room, we met each other and got to know each other a little bit. Uh, And then we ended up uh, actually working together uh, at a previous company of mine when Michael was at Castle Connolly uh, Graduate Medical Publishing. And uh, he was the uh, executive vice president there for uh, about Mm -hmm. 15 years. So Michael, uh, welcome to the H Society. I'm happy you could join us. Thank you for the invitation. Great to be here, Scott. So, uh, Michael, could you maybe just uh, give us a, a brief background uh, of your experience uh, in the medical publishing? Sure. I was a uh, PhD pharmacologist, uh, professor at NYU um, about 22 years ago, um, had an opportunity to get into medical publishing with two wonderful senior partners, John Castle, John Connolly. We started a board review company for U.S. residents and fellows. Uh, started with an idea for a pediatric board review for all senior residents and a board review for all psychiatry senior residents. And it grew quickly. And 15 years later, we published 15 comprehensive board reviews in 15 different medical specialties. And thanks to pharmaceutical sponsorships, every book for 15 years was free to all U.S. residents and fellows. Uh, It was a wonderful uh, 15-year run. 
Um, and then the attorneys killed it, <laughs> which is a whole separate podcast. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, Evermed TV. Yep. So after we closed Castle Connolly, and it was a, uh, the reason was not the attorneys, but it was the, the threat of off-label marketing and FDA sanctions, which never affected us, but it scared pharmaceutical compliance and counsel. We closed Castle Connolly, sadly, in 2015. Um, I consulted for a few years, thought I would consult off into the sunset someday. And then three years ago, read a posting for a new company startup looking for someone who had published uh, with medical societies for 10 years and who published and sold to pharma for 10 years. And I laughed and said, well, I got 15 years of each. And I applied for the consulting job. And uh, two and a half months later, I was hired full-time as employee zero, <laughs> employee one of Evermed TV. Um, and now three years later, uh, we're at about 25 employees and we're a seven figures company. And uh, I'm back to publishing with associations and with pharma support. So it's kind of a return to the 2000 to 2015 period, but now all digital, nothing in print. I'm, I'm uh, just curious. We, uh, uh, one of the themes of our podcast is um, obviously uh, societies and associations. You know, can you kind of share um, maybe some high-level takeaways from uh, your work with them? Because they're, as we all know, people that listen to this podcast, um, it's not the same as working with commercial publishers. Um, and I mean that in a very positive way, not a negative way. So um, this is my 22nd year of working with um, associations. Um, with Castle Connolly, it was strictly in the U.S., um, some of the, the largest ones, American College of OBGYNs, American Gastroenterological Association, American Urological, American Pharmacists. Uh, but now at Evermed, um, we're working with over 30 associations, U.S., um, EU, U.K., and Latin America. And uh, probably the biggest takeaway is that associations are the most trusted and most important source of information for um, caregiver physicians, physician caregivers, uh, healthcare providers around the world through their um, you know, dissemination of the latest research. And as such, they're publishers, but despite their efforts, they're nonprofit societies. They're typically run by a physician board of directors, executives. They are not, as you sort of said a few minutes ago, they're not publishers with a hundred year pedigree in, in publishing. So while their main goal is to disseminate education, they, they bring to the table a wide range of publishing skill. <laughs> some are very good at it, some are not. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, Gaussian distribution, letter in the middle. So my role for all these years now, 22 years, has been to serve as hopefully an expert third-party publisher to help societies disseminate the most important medical education. I know uh, what you're saying, uh, having sat in uh, for quite a few years working for commercial publisher uh, in, med in medicine, uh, sitting around a uh, uh, what we called our publishing group meeting. It was more about uh, print runs and uh, pricing and, uh, you know, will the book sell? I, uh, I remember once uh, having lunch with one of our editors and his 
new author of a uh, what uh, he was hoping would be a world famous endocrinology book. And um, as someone who was in charge of selling the book to everyone around the world, uh, our distributors and things, I asked what I thought was a fairly innocent question of the author. And, you know, could you just tell me, um, you know, just high level, what's the worldwide audience for a, a work <laughs> like this? And uh, without missing a beat, he, with a big smile, said, that's easy. I'd say about 100 people. <laughs> <laughs> And I looked at uh, over across the table at our editor, who I think we had decided to print something like 1,500 copies of <laughs> this, uh, you know, three $400 work and sort of like a thank you. You've, you've just given me uh, a very uh, tough task. But on the other hand, then sitting in a, I'll call a publishing group meeting at a society. And um, the argument is, you know, is this, you know, is this topic cutting edge enough? Is this really what we want to be doing? Maybe we should be thinking, you know, in different terms with print runs and things like that. Really, it was about the content and uh, right. very interesting. Not to belabor this, uh, but uh, I, I, I'm also very curious about um, your work with the pharma industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know when we worked together, uh, you came up, there was a couple creative uh, things that you'd been doing um, that we helped you with, but um, maybe you could just tell, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the glory days have passed uh, of working with pharma where one person would say yes and then open a purchase order. Um, now it's eight layers of people, seven of whom don't have any budget. And um, starting around 2008 or nine. Uh, certainly in the US, not as much in the EU and, and Latin America and Far East, the idea of gift guidelines and compliance departments controlling what uh, education the company can uh, put forth to doctors, the, the world of pharma support of medical education has really changed. Over our 15 years of Castle Connolly, which ended in 2015, we disseminated real number 225,000 board reviews in 15 medical specialties with $32 million of pharma support. All of it was advertising free, no promotion, no ads. And every book was free for 15 years, uh, which is you know the dream of the publishing world is the entire print run is accounted for and it's paid for in advance. But that started changing 2009, 10, it got much worse. Now there are so many levels within pharma to sell to. Compliance is always an issue. The, the specter, the threat of off-label marketing, which maybe everyone in your audience, listening audience understands, but the threat of off-label marketing is great. And the possibility that a message, uh, an educational message could cross a boundary and talk about a drug or an investigational compound for a use that's not approved by the European Medical um, Agency or the FDA, the fines for that are in the hundreds of millions or in some cases, billions of dollars. So it, it is no longer the case that you can go to industry, pitch them a great educational project that will just have their name on it. Advertising free, no product pitches, no product names, but still it goes through compliance. It goes to corporate counsel. It's a much harder world to get industry support 
than it used to be. So mm-hmm. um, not a great change, but that old phrase, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Most of pharma sponsored education is pristine. It is free of off-label marketing. It doesn't promote uses of compounds or approved drugs for things they're not approved for. You know, stopping industry from paying for education wholesale in a wholesale way, uh, of course, is a you know version of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. No one wants yep. Ill- illegal promotion, but we don't want to stop education. And one of the, the big things about Evermed is that we are primarily, although most of our societies are the major U.S. societies, um, we take their content to Western, Central, and Eastern Europe, including Russia. Uh, we actually have Russian content and instructions on our platform. Uh, we are in China with a registered Chinese server and Chinese Mandarin I should be specific, um, instructions and content on our platform. So we bring um, education to doctors around the world who can't pay $495 or $695 or $100 for a digital conference on demand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's a key role. So for pharma to, to do that is a wonderful service to patients everywhere in the world course, service to doctors, but ultimately it's the patients who benefit. You know, we've been doing our best to make it clear to pharma compliance, what we're doing, how it supports the mission of better care around the world. It's not illegal promotion. You know, we all on our team understand off-label marketing. We're extremely careful about it. I, uh, as someone that we uh, know, uh, an executive uh, of a well-known association uh, once told me that, uh, the, the goal of every association is adoption, reach, and revenue. Would you agree with that, Michael? Yeah, I absolutely would. And um, uh, in your and my conversation, um, I heard you say uh, that you haven't heard that every association agrees with that. Um, and I think that's a failure of those people at those associations uh, to really understand their own mission. Uh, we have seen, however, that comparing the U.S. associations, societies, with European societies, associations, um, there are big differences. And in fact, as um, over two years in discovering that my successes here in the US, again, I, I didn't quite say out loud or say at all, Evermed's main business is getting licensed by associations in all three uh, areas, EU, UK, Latin America, US, to bring that content with pharmaceutical support. To doctors everywhere in the world. So we get licenses. Um, we are not an aggregator of news. We are the only company that has full licenses from ASCO, American Heart, American College of Cardiology, American Diabetes, British Cardiovascular, European Association for Study of Liver, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to bring entire conferences to doctors around the world. So over two and a half years, I was much more successful in the US than in Europe. It wasn't a language barrier. Leadership, my CEO, COO, and I were wondering, you know, why do we have 28 U.S. licenses and only four European licenses? So we actually hired a wonderful, experienced European consultant who uh, has worked and led associations and societies in Europe. And what we learned from that individual was that, and I it, this kind of confirmed what I guess I I understood subconsciously. It's not adoption. 
reach and revenue in the U.S. It's revenue adoption and reach in the U.S. <laughs> but yeah. but in Europe, it is very much adoption reach and maybe and maybe membership and maybe revenue as a fourth source. So mm. uh, a fourth. Um, a goal. So we've changed our European messaging. So I think this adoption reach revenue is absolutely true, but the priorities are different in Europe. The societies are much less interested in revenue building than they are in the US. Hmm. And that was a interesting. really interesting lesson. We only got in the last few months. We've changed our presentation decks. We've changed our pitch, our emails. It, it, it's successful. Interesting. I know I talk in uh, my discussions with uh, at Herex with uh, our uh, association customers. I think, um, well, it's always been a bit of a mantra of mine that to, you need to look beyond just the books and journals. You know, most of them are sitting on a mountain of content, and there's many ways now to repurpose it and make it available. Some people uh, we work with are obsessed about this. Other people, I think, are still trying to figure it out. And then there's some people not sure they've thought of it yet. So, uh, but anyway, I, it, but I think it's a lot, uh, it's a lot easier to do now than ever before. So uh, yeah. that's interesting. I guess, uh, well, obvious question that we ask all our guests uh, right now is um, how has COVID affected your business customers that you're working with, if at all? Yeah, it's um, dramatic. This is not not a short answer. So for for Evermed, we quadrupled in size in the last eighteen months. Um, it all began. I was one of the first people to get COVID. Um, I live in New Orleans half the year uh, mm-hmm. with my wife. Our son lives and works in New Orleans, and all three of us got COVID uh, during Mardi Gras of two thousand twenty, which was early on. I think I was one. And of that the first was a, that that was that was one of the first major spreaders, super spreader right? events oh yeah, yeah. we yeah, uh, yeah we had one that we i think we had the first in boston with our little medical conference of 100 <laughs> yeah. 108 people that infected yep. 100,000 people yeah. yep uh absolutely true so yeah m- most people who are not new orleanians or don't know about mardi gras think there's like one big parade or two big parades but there's actually dozens and my wife and i were uh, at probably nine or 10 parades, shoulder to shoulder with thousands of people from all over the world in the South. Um, anyway, at that point, Evermed uh, was, uh, we were already a digital company. We were already doing everything by Zoom. Um, we had already made some sales. We were in our second year. Um, and then COVID happened. Um, and I got COVID. <laughs> um, and then we quadrupled in size over the next, you know, the following 16 months. So we're way over 20 employees last year. So that that's Evermed. But for the pharma side and the society side, this is a three-part answer. Mm-hmm. Evermed quadrupled in size. For the pharmaceutical companies, all of a sudden, their entire spigot of leads and prospects and talking to doctors disappeared. No more in-person detail visits, no more trade shows at major, major medical meetings, no more 5,000 square foot booths um, with uh, famous uh, French chefs and beignet and whatever else you want to give out at a booth. Yeah. All of a sudden, you either reached the doctor digitally or you didn't reach a doctor at all. So mm-hmm. um, there was an explosion of spending on digital content. Last year, Evermed was a, a nice part of that. 
And uh, it was fascinating because not all of it was well spent. I think it was all well spent on Evermed, but not all of it, not all of it was rolled out. And in fact, uh, we had a client who spent well into the six figures with us. And because they knew they had to do it, but they didn't have the resources, the know-how to take advantage of it, they actually never rolled out a very large program. That happened once or twice at Castle Connolly, where we had a quarter of a million or a half million dollar deposit on a project. And then it just never happened. And not because of us, but because of what happened at one or two pharma companies. And you know they're so large, it's lovely when they just say, yeah, keep the money, we'll put it to something else. But last year, that's, that's a digression. Your accountants, by the way, don't like that because when it turns out in New York and New Jersey, when a company leaves a deposit with you, I am not kidding. By law in New Jersey, you're supposed to send that money to the state of New Jersey. I am not nice. kidding. Anyway, uh, which we didn't do. So pharma spent wildly, did not always spend effectively last year. On the society side, it was for many a disaster. Um, obviously, they lost booth revenue. They lost all the support for breakfasts and bags and, and lunches and cocktail parties and mostly the exhibits. Many societies did not make it through the year without significant layoffs, which is probably no surprise to anyone listening. Some of our society partners um, had massive layoffs, sadly. Some had layoffs even though they did well on the makeup digital sales of you know the virtual exhibit booths. Very tough year for societies here and abroad. So yeah, three answers. Evermed did well. Pharma spent madly, not always with great effect. And it's affected their 2021 spending, even though there are still no virtual live meetings this year, or there haven't been. And the September ones are all being canceled. Pharma did not, in our experience, spend wildly as large as they did in 2020. Uh, And then the third final side, societies have mostly had a very hard time. Just lost yeah. too much revenue. Yeah, it's uh, one organization we we know uh, we were working with at Urex, and um, they were they I mean they they just got crushed. Uh, uh, they've let almost everybody go, and I'm talking you know thousand people, but you know they got a lot of their it was it was yes the conferences although a colleague there told me um well you know we spend at least a million to put the meeting on but we you know bring in a couple million but that's all gone but they also did a lot of walks and runs and things and all that's yeah. gone and back to what you said about the virtual conferences uh it's just been interesting a couple people have shared that they say had <clears throat> tripled their attendance figures virtually. Of course, it was free last year. <laughs> and now this year, um, they're charging something. I still don't think it's they charge what they would have been. But um, but I think some of them are still seeing, you know, maybe more people logging on than would ever go to a conference. And I kind of think it's here to stay, right? I, I just think even in a couple of years, it's going to be half and half or some I don't know. People are busy to go away for a whole week. You know, it'd be fun to go to New Orleans, you know, where you live. But at the same time, I can probably do a lot more sessions at home. You know, so. that is exactly right. Um, so uh, my experience is 
uh, has, or our company experience and mine, um, has been slightly different than yours, which is not to doubt your veracity or cast doubt on it. But we're working with, as you've heard, uh, over 30 societies. Uh, I don't know any that had bigger attendance digitally than they did live. They, there, there were those that had thousands of digital attendees, the big names that we work with. Uh, but for the most part, they did not have bigger reach. Uh, most of them did charge something last year. The American College of Cardiology, one of the miracles of 2020, they lost their live meeting. And I don't know, four weeks later through a virtual meeting, it was amazing that they pulled it off. The platform that they had to use, an external platform, wasn't perfect. There were hiccups, but oh my goodness, they, uh, they went from a live meeting to a virtual meeting in zero time uh, and pulled it off. That meeting was free, but for the mm-hmm. most part, no one else went free last year. The, the major societies we work with did charge. Mm-hmm. This year, the major societies we work with went big on their fees. Um, ASCO and many of the others charged in the hundreds of dollars. So that, that's part one in response to your statement question. Part two, going, you know, looking at the future, yeah, there have been plenty of surveys and by you know, Bain and some of the big consulting companies and all their, their research aside, the facts are that, as you said, exactly correctly, you leave your practice, your family for four days and all right, maybe you're in uh, New Orleans or Orlando or somewhere. Great. But you've lost all the patient time. If you're in anywhere but the US, you're not being paid by your hospital. You're only making a bare uh, income in most of the world as a doctor, not in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And you can only attend one meeting at a time. You can't be in two rooms or eight rooms at a time. So the values of a digital on-demand meeting And that same thing is true when you're live streaming. If you're sitting at home and in between patients, you're live streaming a meeting. You can still only watch one thing at a time. You can switch to another stream, but one person can only watch one thing uh, and then it's over. So on-demand medical meetings are entirely different. It was, you know, called time shifting when the the VCR was invented and then it was a DVR and now it's on-demand with digital TV. Yeah, we have conferences on demand, and that means day or night, in between patients, in between your wife or your husband or your kids or whatever in your life, um, you can watch six minutes of something, bookmark it, come back to it later on the train or the bus or at home or a clinic, and you can do that for a year. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's such a different experience than a live meeting. What you lose is the interaction with your peers. You're not in hallways. You're not at breakfasts and lunches and um, dinners um, in New Orleans and drinking. So what we and everyone else, societies, and, uh, and we have been trying to do is enhance the peer-to-peer communication during the digital experience. So mm-hmm. you can chat with other doctors, and, uh, and that, that has really helped. We did, Evermed did, a live evening event in March of this year, two of them, and we did it with the Pan American League of Associations of Rheumatology. Um, this is a great example. It's not necessarily blowing Evermed's horn, but it's a great example of peer-to-peer um, communication and making up for what COVID took away. So we took the two most important, two of the most important sessions from the Pan American Rheumatology meeting, October of 20, that were recorded, and in March. 
we brought the speakers live to Evermed on two Thursday nights. And mm -hmm. we played their presentations from October. But because it was Latin American, some of the presentations are in Spanish and some were in Portuguese. So having the benefit of six months, we translated the Spanish ones into Portuguese and English. And we translated the Portuguese ones into Spanish and English. And for two evenings, we had uh, roughly 300 doctors on Evermed for an hour and 40 minutes nonstop chatting in English, Spanish, and Portuguese with the original presenters and each other. It was nice. so, so wonderful. Uh, it was a huge success. We did it with the with PANLAR, the association. And we're now planning that with, or doing it with British Cardiovascular Society and um, Society of Surgical Oncology here in the US, and hopefully more, because you can't replace the peer-to-peer, -peer, the value of talking to yeah. your peers. There, uh, you know, medicine is not practiced exactly the same, of course, everywhere in the U.S. or in the world. And the face-to-face -face chat with colleagues, with experts, with presenters, and that's the other thing. Sorry for this long answer, but one of the great things about medical meetings is a presenter, you know, gets up, presents his or her cutting-edge research for the first time, often, like ASCO, mm -hmm. you know, so much of the research there is embargoed. You don't know it until you get there. Mm -hmm. But the scientific process is people are going to look at that research, analyze it, redo it, and maybe find out you made mistakes or you analyzed your data wrong uh, or your cohorts were wrong. So uh, what happens in the hallway or at you know restaurants and bars isn't always, hey, tell me about your wife or your kids or your golf round. It's did yeah. you see Dr. Smith's presentation and you know he screwed up his statistical analysis. So that face-to-face -face chat is not, uh, it's very much more than social. It's often scientific and critical. Yeah. So, and it's, yeah. uh, and, and not to, uh, I don't want, hope this doesn't, you know, sound a bit vulgar, but um, uh, for uh, uh, a business development person, well, like we both are. Um, yeah. I mean, Zoom has been great. Our business has been, we've also done very well, but um, this Back uh, to being uh, in-person conferences, uh, a group we work with, it's not a medical association, but it's a, a professional association. And uh, I, I think what happened is they couldn't get out of, they couldn't, last year was one thing, this year they couldn't cancel. And um, they were down in uh, Orlando and um, they, I was talking to them when they got back and uh, they said it was, you know, it was great, really good sessions and everything. And uh, uh, they were still pretty, you know, excited about it. So I said, well, how many do you usually get? And they said, well, like seven to 8,000. Um, but when it's in a place like Orlando, you know, people bring their families, it might go up a little bit beyond that. And I said, how many, so how many did you have? And there's 350. <laughs> and I'm assuming at least uh, a hundred were th from the staff, so right? The society itself, right. <laughs> so, so that's too bad. And uh, that's why I still think we're, we're, we have a ways to go, you know? It's yeah, just we, be we do. There was another problem which I had mentioned, and that is international speakers are not able to fly into the U.S.
U.S. or often from out of the U.S. into a foreign country because of COVID restrictions. And the major societies of which there are, you know, several hundred are, are, are major because they bring science from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of our societies in vascular and endovascular surgery who uh, still at the moment has a November live meeting in Orlando scheduled um, mm-hmm. and is reaching the point where they have to do something. Uh, 40% of their speakers are uh, foreign, foreign born, mm-hmm. foreign um, residents. Um, and currently, uh, it looks like about 40% will not be able to get into Orlando, not to mention however many won't want to go to Orlando. Yeah, um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah this is it's COVID is still hurting societies, it's hurting education. It's so how do you see um, what, what, what do you see down the road at Evermed, like in the next you know year or two, new developments or the way online education is going with your association customers? Any new developments or? Uh, yeah, but no, I, I, I know you can't share. You can't share. Some yeah, I'd have, have to kill you if I told you uh, they'd kill me and then I'd kill you. Um, yeah. We are. We that's, are that's, Michael, that's part of uh, that's part of the H Society uh, podcast is to lull you in for about 40 right. minutes and then <laughs> Get to reveal your secrets. Right. Well, we are expanding, I will say, beyond just medical conferences. That's all we had been selling, but it is no secret. With some of our societies, we are partnering uh, this week. We just reached out to three companies in a partnership with the American Physiological Society, which which, um, we're very excited about. And we um, are working on live roundtables with content and presenters from several countries. We can do subtitles, again, because we're in uh, we're in Russia. I think I mentioned, mm-hmm. I know I mentioned China. I think I mentioned yep. that we're in Russia with Russian subtitles and, and instructions. So we're expanding into custom society content. We are not, um, you know, WebMD. We're not a news aggregator. We're never going to be that, but we are still strictly um, a society content partner because the studies over the years asking doctors here uh, in the US and abroad you know what do you trust what are your most trusted sources of education societies and journals are always one two and uh, so we don't work with journals here it's this but um, mm-hmm. we, we'll continue to work and expand in what we do with societies so that part I can answer there are some other exciting things happening with pharma companies but I won't go into that. Yeah. Pharma companies uh, are uh, currently uh, sponsors, but yeah. No, I understand. Another uh, question I like to uh, ask our guests is um, just the difference of working with a, um, a for-profit versus a non-profit uh, in terms of the way you approach things on the, on the sales side. It's interesting. We've, uh, we've all been uh, at our company. Everyone has gone through um sales training, um, one particular school of thought, which we all like, which we think works well. It's, uh, it was more intended for selling to for-profits, but it really does um, work for nonprofits. So from my perspective, there are, there are a lot of similarities. The idea that what you're bringing to the in our case, we don't sell to societies. We are, we're a, you know, we partner. We get a license, 
We don't sell. We don't charge them anything. We are a free partner. We're not a service. So I am selling Evermed, but not for a for a price or a cost. But the the goal of uh, on our side for profit and not for profit is how do we help you bring her, bring you closer to your goals? Where are you now? Where do you want to be? What are the gaps between where you are and where you want to be? And that could be in the reach of your content. It could be in your revenue. It could be in membership. And can Evermed bring you from point A, where you are now, to point B, where you want to be? And mm-hmm. if we can close that gap, then we can work with you. So I, I'd rather answer your question, maybe you didn't expect this, as uh, with that, that goal in mind, helping you get closer to your goals, that's how we sell. That's how my team, I run, the, of course, the partnership licensing team. That's how we sell to societies is can Evermed bring you closer to your goals? And our sales side, who work with pharma exclusively, are finding out from medical affairs, who is the, uh, our biggest clients typically at pharma, are medical affairs, not sales, hmm. marketing, promotion. But you know, finding out where, where do you want to be versus where you are now? And can the things Evermed does, you know, does and can bring you, bring you closer? So um, I think the similarities are are uh, are very important. Yeah, my when uh, my boss hears this, he'll uh, he might want to talk to you about that sales training for everybody at Herix. <laughs> um, it was it, it was extremely valuable. It was weird. The guy who I didn't mention it by name, um, he's a little difficult to uh, swallow, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, but we really like the message and the the systems. So yeah, mm-hmm. we can talk about that offline. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, where, where they're they're really not, you know, they're not buying anything, paying for it. So that that's I've often wondered. If I I would like that sometimes. Um, right. Our platform was only free. So thank you, Michael. This was really great that uh, you could join us today, and uh, it, it's. I've enjoyed really learning about Evermed and it's been good. Nice to catch up with you. Uh, We haven't talked for a while, so this has really been fun. But again, thanks for being part of the H Society podcast by Herex Digital. And uh, Michael, um, can you, uh, for any of our listeners that are interested, can you please tell them how they could get in touch with you? Uh, if they need some help or have any questions about Evermed. Sure. Thank you, Scott. Um, Great to catch up. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. This is an exception to the rule of I wouldn't be part of any society that would have me as a member. So (laughs) very good. Thank you. Groucho Marx. Yeah, right. Groucho. That's Uh, one of of the great lines. Um, So yes, happy to now be a part of the H Society. And um, yeah, easy email, michael at evermedtv.com. No punctuation, one word, evermedtv.com. And um, since there are roughly 18 million Michael Wolfs in the world, <laughs> I have four in my own contact list in pharma or publishing or medicine. Uh, it's I, I go by, not because I make a big deal of my PhD, but I actually do Michael D. Wolf PhD because um, it separates me from a bunch of the other Michael D. Wolfs. Michael had ever met TV. Um, One of the funny things, if I could say this quickly, when I published the American Gastroenterological Association Board Review, the editor-in-chief, my editor-in-chief, I was the publisher, 
Michael Wolf, PhD. The editor-in-chief was M. Michael Wolf, MD, who was the chief of gastroenterology at uh, BU and Boston Medical Center. And um, if it wasn't funny enough to have two Michael Wolfs as the publisher and the editor-in-chief, our associate editor-in-chief was a famous hepatologist named Rob Lowe, Dr. Rob Lowe, not the actor. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Michael at EverMedTV.com. Great. Thank you. We hope this helped uh, our listeners gain some clarity on um, working with societies and associations and how they work through Michael's company, Evermed. Should you have any questions about digital content, platforms, online learning for your society or association, please check out our award-winning herex.com site uh, to learn more about how we help manage it all securely. Don't forget to subscribe to the archive of the H Society's weekly podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you are listening from. Visit herex.com for more information on our season one guests and future episodes. Everyone stay safe, healthy, and thanks again, Michael, uh, and to all our listeners. And we will be back again with our next podcast soon. Take care. Thanks. You've been listening to the Age Society Podcast, presented by Hurix Digital. Hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to make sure you never miss an episode. To learn more about the ways people are making their organizations valuable for their members through digital technology, publishing, and continuous education, visit Hurix.com to learn more about future-ready digital solutions for publishers, enterprises, nonprofits and educational institutions.